Hey everyone, first off, I just want to thank you for joining us for our first ever digital format of our worship services. I hope and I believe that this time will be valuable for you and for me and for all of us in our spiritual walks. And I know it's going to be new and I know it's going to be different, but I believe that God can use this and will use this to continue to grow our church. So we're going to get right to it. If you want to grab a Bible and a way to take notes, uh, we're going to be reading scripture and having things you can write down just like a normal service. But I'm so excited for this chance to start our next series we're calling Lost and Found. The next few weeks, we'll be looking at how Jesus desires to have a relationship with anyone you meet and how we are called to make disciples. To start, we're going to be talking about reaching the next generation. And I know that idea may evoke some emotions in you if you're a parent or a grandparent, or maybe you're in the next generation and you're tired of being reached, or maybe you don't have any connection to the next generation and you're ready to tune out. And I ask you to please not do that because I believe that if you're serious about making disciples, we'll have something of value for you here today in this video. And that's what we're about at TCC. We're about making disciples who make disciples. So if y'all open your Bibles or whatever you're using to read to Judges 2 verse 6, we'll look at the people of Israel and their transition from the leadership of Joshua to the next few generations. And just to give you some context, we're picking up in the story of the Israelites after they have just entered the promised land of Canaan. They finished wandering in the desert with Moses and they had seen God provide for them and provide guidance for them and leadership and he had conquered this land that should have been unapproachable. So if you'll join us in Judges 2, verses 6 through 12, starting with verse 6, it says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. So let's unpack all this, right? In this passage of scripture, we see that there are three distinct generations, three groups of people within this group of people. And for reference, often the Bible starts a new generation when someone has a child. So while we're not sure of the exact amount of time, we can probably move on assuming that a generation is about 30 to 40 years long. So let's look at those three different groups. And if you're taking notes, here's where you can start writing down. The first group, the first generation was Joshua. And this passage says that Joshua knew God personally. He was God's chosen leader for his people. And he was someone that God had used to perform miracles. 
Joshua had seen God work and had trusted God when things seemed impossible. He was in a loving personal relationship with God and we can look at Joshua as this Old Testament version of what we would call today a disciple. So that's generation one. Generation two in this passage are the elders. The elders who were referenced in you know, verse seven and verse 10, they served the Lord. They, had, they were people who had seen God do incredible things. They had witnessed miracles and been part of the group who finally entered the land that God had promised his people long ago. And these people knew about God. They'd even been able to witness the amazing things that God had done through Joshua. But it takes a turn in verse 10. After Joshua and after the generation of the elders passed away, a new generation grew up. So generation three, we're going to just be calling them the next generation. This next generation grew up and did not know the Lord. They didn't know about all the things that God had done for their people. They didn't know about all the awesome things God had done for the generation before them or the generation before them. They missed everything. And this passage says that they served the gods of the people around them and did evil in God's eyes. Does this shock you? That the people had transitioned so quickly, remember we're talking maybe 80 years from following God intimately and completely to completely forgetting about him. The same people who had been commanded, if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 6, the same people who had been commanded in verses 4 through 12, that I'll paraphrase here, to love God with all their heart, soul, and strength, to impress his commandments on their hearts and on their children, and to talk about them when they're at home or walking around or when they go to bed or when they wake up, and to tie these commands as symbols on their hands, to have it literally with them always, to write them on their door frames so when they leave, they see it. They were told to do all of this, as it says in verses 10 through 12, so that when they enter the promised land, the land of Canaan that this generation had entered, they would not forget the Lord. God knew well before the people of Israel knew that unless they were intentional about using their relationships with one another, with their children, with their friends, with their children's friends, that unless they were intentional with using these relationships to remind each other of how great God was, they would forget about him. So it's easy to hear the story about the Israelites and be upset at the third generation. I mean, time had barely passed. How could they have forgotten all that God had done for them? When we do this and we look at the next generation around us, it's pretty easy to start drawing parallels, isn't it? But what if we expand our view? What if instead of looking at this story as three literal generations, we start to think about them as spiritual generations? This is a practice that isn't new. Think to Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. He says in the third chapter, he says that he wanted the church to grow into spiritual adulthood, no longer needing spiritual milk, but solid food, solid teaching and growth and life change brought through a relationship with Jesus. So if Paul can do this, I think we can do this too, right? We are called to make disciples, to see people and to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. And this becomes our version of the generations of Israelites, these spiritual generations of one spiritual generation helping 
the next generation grow into disciples, who helps the next generation grow into disciples, and another, and another, and another. And I think that when we do this, it's more realistic. It's more practical to our lives. It doesn't matter if you're eight or 18 or 80 years old. All of us are growing in our relationship with Jesus. Someone who's 55 and doesn't know Jesus needs to meet him just as much as someone who's 15 and doesn't know Jesus. So the next generation we need to reach, the third generation in our judges passage, yes, it includes that third generation of physically younger people, but also includes anyone who needs to grow into spiritual maturity. If we accept and expand our view to this, we see that the passage is more than just a cautionary tale, a kind of tale of failing our children. And we see that it's a story that has happened time and time again throughout history and could happen today if we're not careful. The one where we're not intentional about making disciples of the next spiritual generation and instead leave them an inherited faith. Leave them this idea that uh, our faith will rub off on them. And then we wonder what happened when it doesn't stick. Here's what I think we can pull out of this. The second generation, the one who had seen what God had done, it says they had seen how God had worked. My guess is that they probably didn't follow this command laid out in Deuteronomy. Instead of talking about God's will and his commands and all the awesome things that he had done, instead of talking about that with the next generation, it seems as if they assumed their faith would just rub off on them. They seem to think that if they just, you know, followed God, maybe if you want to bring it to today, if they just brought their kids with them to church, that's enough. But we can't fall into the same line of thinking. We And by we, I mean everyone who considers themselves a disciple of Jesus, me, you, anyone who's listening, we all need to know that the next spiritual generation, which includes, again, people of all ages, will not grow into disciples on accident. And this is our big idea today, that disciples aren't made on accident, they're made through relationships. And where do we get that? It's because we look at Jesus's life, and his ministry. The way that Jesus made disciples was by living life with them. I mean, yes, he taught large groups of people. He taught the apostles while he lived with them, but they were the people he had relationships with, the people he was around constantly. The ones he first entrusted his mission to, to go and make disciples of all the nations, like it says in Matthew 28. The ones who continued to make disciples, who made more disciples, and made more disciples that we can probably trace our spiritual lineage to. So when we decide to make disciples through relationships, I I, I try to think of how can we do this in our lives? And I think the first thing we do is we find a few perspectives and emphases, emphases that we will shift and embrace these shifts if we want to be effective in making disciples who make disciples. And I think first, we need to shift our expect we need to shift from expectation of others to development of others. Instead of seeing someone's age and just having this assumed expectation of them where they might be at on their faith journey, we need to see each person individually. We should see everyone and realize that there is 
a way we can personally contribute to developing and walking with them in their growth as a disciple. I mean, we don't expect 15-year-olds to have life figured out, right? I mean, I work with your 15-year-olds, and if I expected them to have life figured out, I'd probably be frustrated a lot. But we don't expect this out of them. We don't expect them to have everything figured out. We don't expect them to have their spiritual life figured out. So then why do I turn and I expect someone who's 45 to have their spiritual life figured out? Especially if they've only just started following Jesus two years ago. You know, I'm guilty of this too. I see people and I can assume that just based on their age, they're further along in their walk than I think they are. They're further behind in their walk than I think they are. Because this can be the inverse too, right? We just saw Molly get baptized last week. She's probably further along in her spiritual walk than a lot of people who are much older than her. And when we shift our perspective to have less expectations of others and more of a desire to develop and help other people grow, our relationships with them will be stronger and we can see more people of all ages growing and to disciples of Jesus. The second emphasis shift that I think we should make is should be that we are less focused on behavior modification and more focused on life transformation. I mean, think back. If you are young, it's gonna be easy. If you're a little bit older, it'll be a little harder. Think back to when you were young, right? What did you learn growing up that you should follow the rules, you should respect your parents, and if your parents went to church, you learned you, you go to church too, right? And these are all good things, all things that I think will help you grow, but what if that's where it stopped? This is something I'm always afraid of as a student minister. I'm afraid my students will be more worried about looking good and having good behavior, being a good kid, being right in what they do, as opposed to be worried about having a life that's completely transformed by Jesus. So as we develop these relationships, as we make the shift from being more worried about moderating someone's life and instead more worried about how Jesus can transform this, we build deeper relationships. We build relationships that aren't focused on outer appearances or on actions, but on interchange through Christ. And the third shift that I thought we should make is to focus less on lectures and to focus more on love. Jesus said in John 13, he said that people will know we are disciples by how we love one another. And what if we take that seriously? When we really worry about loving each other rather than worrying about being sure that we know enough information and we have it all figured out, we become more like the people Jesus wanted us to be. And I have a couple of really practical examples from this in my time in ministry. I used to work on college campuses, uh, which was great. It was a lot of fun. But I definitely saw people who approached discipleship as lectures, and I saw people who approached discipleship is love. First off, let me explain the lectures to you. In case you're wondering, actually, other than today when it's snowing a ton, this week has been really warm, so I'm sure that these people have been out doing their lecture style of evangelism. They're the people that the students would call the quad gods. Um, they would stand out on the grassy quads when it got warm, and they would hold up 
large signs making sure that every kid that passed by knew they were going to hell. They wanted to make sure that you knew that you were wrong and that God didn't love you because you were wrong. They would yell at kids, they were hostile, they were aggressive, and it just stirred up anger and hate and aggression back toward them. You know, I want to look at these people and I want to have the best thoughts and think that maybe they were trying to do something good, but there was no fruit. And on the flip side, uh, the groups I was part of, we really try to take a loving approach to sharing the gospel. And I wanted to kind of title this message, Jesus Pancakes, because we eventually became known as the Jesus Pancake People. Almost all of our outreaches, for some reason or another, involved making pancakes. Whether that was from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. and we would catch all the kids coming home from the bars, or whether that was on a spring break trip to Panama City Beach, where we would offer people safe rides home, we would offer them conversation, we would offer them a chance to share their lives with someone. We offered them love. We offered them the life transformation that comes from knowing Jesus. These are the ways we see people come into a relationship with Jesus. Through love, through connection, through relationships. And I'll be honest, I was terrified to drive down to Florida over spring break to walk around with a bunch of spring break partiers and talk to them about Jesus. It was so scary. I didn't want to do it, but I did it because I had relationships with other people who promised they would be there with me. And the good news is you don't have to drive to Panama City Beach to go share the love of Jesus. You don't have to go out from midnight to 4 a.m. and make pancakes for somebody. God has put people into your life that you can share his love with right now. Whether that's your neighbor who mows their lawn late at night, or your coworker who just frustrates you, or that annoying uncle who shows up to every family gathering, or even just someone you actually care about, someone that you know and you like. God has put people into your life that you can share his love with and build these relationships with. Jesus is calling each one of us to build relationships with each other and with people we don't even know yet because he wants these relationships and this love, he wants to use it to see people grow into disciples who are transformed by him. This is how we reach the next generation. This is how we reach the next spiritual generation. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to know every detail. We just need to take that first step of love and relationship. Like the Apostle Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We are to grow into disciples. And we are to help bring others along in that journey. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. Jesus is calling each and every one of us to take that next step and our relationship with him. Whether you haven't even surrendered your life to him yet, or you've been following him for 50 years, Jesus is always calling us to increase in humility and trust and in love to those he puts into our life. 
He's always calling us to make disciples who will then go and make more disciples. This is my hope, and this is my prayer for each one of us and for our church family, that we would see God work and that he would use our relationships to build more disciples. I'm going to pray for us. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. And I thank you for this opportunity to build disciples, to make disciples who make disciples through love and through relationship. God, we don't want to be, we don't want to follow that example set by the Israelites and judges where the third generation doesn't know you. We want to see generation after generation come to know you and generation after spiritual generation come to know you and to love you fully. We want to see your will done here and we want to see you moving in our city. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. How long was it?